0: The theme for this afternoon's talk is what do we make of this conventional world, or reality. And before beginning I would just like to, in a way, use as a small illustration a few points of information which a number of you won't know and how sometimes we learn something and how it makes us a shift in our understanding and uh, appreciation through knowing. And the immediate example that comes to mind is when you and I cycle or walk through the far (coughs) gate, we just go up the path there and our eyes turn to the right and you will see a number of men working morning, noon and evening on rather large blocks of stone as they engage in the building of this uh, statue of the Buddha. And I spoke with the abbot both a day or two ago uh, further about it for an update and have done so on previous times. The blocks of stone as I recall Came from a, a mountain, some, I think, I think maybe 80 miles, if I remember rightly, from uh, here. And altogether, if I've got my numbers correct, there are around 539 blocks of stone. And they were brought from a mountain which has used stone for <coughs> spiritual, uh, for statues and script and texts carved in, in the rock. And they were all brought here. And the abbot said to me that it would be much easier and much cheaper to simply bring in some high-powered cutting equipment and do the conventional way of building a statue. Just cut, 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 and then it's polished and refined. But instead, he wished to, as you can see, stay true to a very long history. And that long history Is of men who start working on the rock they learn the skills from their fathers and what one has there is men who learn from their fathers who learn from their fathers going way back far more than a thousand years one generation of uh, rock carvers statue makers to the next and he brought them to the villages to work here to put this uh, statue together which upon its completion will be 24 meters high and last year the group uh, very generously and kindly uh, gave i think 600 dollars for between the teachers and the the students as a contribution and we bought two blocks of stone and it works out that each block of stone, transport the worker to carve the block of stone and prepare a block, it worked out at around $300 <laughs> per block of stone. And I, So I said to the other that we're buying a block of stone, we are, there's only one bit of the stone that I, the royal we, are interested in, and that's the lips. Because we're interested in what came out of the mouth, etc. rather than the other, what came out of other parts. And um, so the abbot. So we bought one lip, three hundred dollars, was it? One lip and one. Lip. Right. And this year, when we arrived, as you will see, the uh, abbot has completed the head, and it just fits together like an extraordinary jigsaw puzzle. And I said to the abbot, I said, I just find it extraordinary looking at these men, that they've got no map, no plan no measurements, no detail, and they're just chipping. And I can't comprehend, how does it go from just chipping to a beautiful statue which every piece of rock which is cut all fits together and produces such a beautiful face? How does it go from point A, block of rough stone, to that without any obvious design plan? Etc. And I said, what happens... If they're chipping away, you know, and all the subtlety of the chipping, and they chip and they make a mistake. They chip and they chip out a bit of the lip, or a bit of the eyeball chipped out, and they make a mistake. He said, Well, if they make a mistake, of course, it does ruin the entire block of stone. I said, How many blocks of stone have been ruined out of the 539? He said, None. He said, They never make a mistake. just don't get it. How do they go from that to that? With nothing to, they're just chipping, I just don't, I, every time I go by there I get off and have a look at what are these guys doing? Do not they, do they know, even know what body part they're working on? <laughs> Etc. And I think sometimes I use it as a small ex- example and illustration that sometimes we are rather bemused used by it, the so-called world of cause and effect which is not actually in the center of the Buddhist teachings no matter what one hears is a teacher of dependent arising which is a little different and how things unfold take shape take form come together form together and this becomes that as the Buddha said owing to this that becomes but in the whole weave and gamut of things how does this become that this we call the conventional world this we call the conventional world. And sometimes a little knowledge, as I say, a little recognition, a little touch in the perceptions and a little knowing put together just helps to give that sense of appreciation and understanding and uh, an acknowledgement of the remarkable capacity of human beings to put things together and in this case the clear intention of the abbot, he's now eighty-four years of age. He before ordination, he'd worked with the great Mahatma with Gandhi, has been in this monastery for many, many years as abbot, of course. <coughs> His simple <coughs> pardon me, intention is to keep a long tradition alive. <coughs> and he's not concerned with productivity, efficiency, speed, getting things done. There are more important things in life than that. It's a good reminder to all of us sometimes <coughs> <pardon> me, <coughs> in the looking in the conventional in the conventional way in the conventional world we see again and again and experience this sense and feeling <coughs> and notion <coughs> of i <coughs> of the self of identity Which arises and with the identities which arise in our life once the sense of identity has arisen no matter what the identity is about it virtually nearly always in some way or other brings in the identity of somebody else we have an identity I am called a teacher, so it brings in a student. I am called a father, so it brings in the daughter. I am called a grandfather, so it brings in the grandson. I am called a friend, so it brings in a friend. I am called a partner, so it brings in the partner, etc. So the world, in the manifestation of identity, brings in identity. And through experiences, memory, thought, perceptions, views, and opinions, ideas, interpretation and inference means the whole gamut of the inner life the feeling of identity builds itself to be something and once it's built once this is built and named it equally builds and names another it has to so the conventional world becomes a world full of similar and dissimilar identities and it gains such a reality for us that once that's established we talk, think, act and behave (coughs) as this that's the reality that is living in the real world Oh dear Oh dear, what a mess We actually think that, we talk that way And once that happens, then the world of cause and effect must enter into it. It has to. I've got identity. I've got the sense of, this is me, or this is you, this is me, this is where I was, this is me, this is where I'm going. So I bring in cause and effect. And my cause and effect will be an interpretation of identity. And one will be saying to oneself, Either, I am like this because, whatever, this happened to me because, cause, cause, because I did this, or because I didn't do this So I live in constant idea of cause and when I have that it will be in the presentation of some particular identity once I've got the movement in the interest in cause I will be looking round to name the cause some poor devil something or other and I'll hardly be aware of what I've done not only does it show itself an identity in roles it shows shows itself as identity as a human being shows is shows itself an identity with the nation or with the group or with the class or with the history or with the interpretation all gets used for building 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 and I don't want to feel alone in my cause and effect scenario I don't want to feel it's just me like that so my intention will be to go and find others who are as miserable as I with the same story. Because when I'm able to do that, if others are as miserable as I am, i feel better. Because the last thing is, I want to feel miserable with other people not feeling miserable. If I've got a horrible relationship, at least I want to know that others is just as bad. And, it, and if their relationship is worse, it'd I feel even better. My identity is used in relationship with others and we act, live, feel, think as if this is what life is. And if others are having a happy time and they're getting on well together and there's a good scenario in the conventional world of things, I would be asking myself why is he, she, they? Why are they happy? and and they would say oh i'm happy because i live in the here and now i'm happy because i um, my parents love me i'm happy because i came to india i'm happy because i left india Uh, whatever it might be so once again i'm caught in the loop and i think therefore If that made other people happy, what he or she did, it should make me happy. If I do the same thing that he or she did, then I'll do it, then I'll be like them, I'll be happy. Or if I repeat what they did, I'll be miserable. Why doesn't it work out like that? Why is it that we look at other people and they say, well, it's because I did this that I'm having such a good time? Oh I did that, I'm having such a difficult time, that when you and I try to repeat it, our experience may be similar, dissimilar, or totally unrelated to somebody else's. <coughs> I can't duplicate another person's experience. I can't just imitate him or her <coughs> And imagine it would be the same for me. My cause and effect thinking is bizarre. I have a degree of confidence in it which has no relationship to events. One, the Common Month, we touched upon it for a couple of minutes last night in the inquiry, and it's a popular one, and it's called Parents. Bless them. And one says, Oh, owing to the difficulty with parents, I am like I am. Or Owing to a better relationship with parents, I am like I am. Owing to no relationship with them, all the formulas we can use, I am like that I am. And the viewer therefore arises, there is the cause and I am the effect. For better or worse, or not sure. Identity generating the identity, but parents are an effect of what? Parents, if we go along this line. So we can go back generations, generations, generations. Which one are we going to point the accusing finger? Is it this parents, known or unknown? grandparents, -grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great. Who's the one that's made me like I am? Once I look at the cause and effect, and if I say cause is an effect, none of it holds up as being substantial. Because we live in the conventional world of identity and projection of identity. Whoa! Put it another way, there are no parents in this world, there are no children in this world, there are no friends, no lovers, no partners, no husbands, no old, young, sick. None this is all an agreement. It's all what we've made of it. In the nature of things, isn't is that the case? But the conventional world says, oh, it is, it is, it is. So we find ourselves constantly engaged in a kind of problem to resolve. And you and I may resolve one, and what we notice is the difficulties terribly easily shift somewhere else. You've had a difficult time in a relationship. She or he has become a Buddha and left you. (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever it might be. And, um, and one keeps reminding oneself and the mantra of everything is impermanent, um, but I wish it wasn't. And one struggles through the up and the ebbs and flows of things. And when one has the view, this is important, I have these problems to work out at there cannot possibly be the resolution because in the inner life if I have the view I have one problem to work on I've got the story and the identity with it I may resolve it temporarily but I haven't understood something outside of the convention and it will mean I will have to go to another problem I might have a few minutes grace a little bit of relief and then the new problem will have to appear because I still believe in identity I believe in roles I believe in what I've made other people to be I believe in what I've made myself to be and I keep living in this belief and I'm not willing to shake the box. And if one You know, in the the, um, lovely uh, teaching of the Buddha here he says, I declare there are problems and I declare there is a resolution of them. I declare there is a problem, sorry, and I declare there is a resolution of it. What I mean by that, if I want to really release the being, instead of the view, (laughs) I have all these problems in my life to work on, or I have one, two, three or four, Could it be, it's one single issue, it is one single issue, and if I can challenge and explore the one single issue, I've explored them all simultaneously, because it's the same movement that goes on. It's just that it only appears differently because I've got different people involved. It only appears differently because myself feels a bit different in one role than in the other but it's all the same mess. What is... boil it all down, squeeze it all down, what is the issue? What is the issue that unifies, that holds up, that sustains all problems? And it's something about the self Desire, the desirer, and what is desired. It's all about that. And upon that, all the identity goes with it. In all of that, all the identity is constructed and formed on this. And somehow we are preoccupied or fascinated with the little differences in the event me and this person, me and myself, me and this place me and this activity, me and these thoughts me and what I did with my life, me and what I'm going to do with my life me and what the hell am I doing with my life no matter which way we go with it (coughs) there is the one who desires (coughs) the desiring (coughs) and that which is desired Somehow or rather it's a challenge for us, can I really just forget all these so called people in my life, forget all of these roles that I have, and just put bare attention to it in its most barest detail. Then maybe we can explore. In the looking, in the exploration, in the... uh, uh, with ourselves. This phenomena called the human being wanting, what does it spring from? Whatever it may be, what is the movement that goes on within us? What does it come from? And somehow prior to the wanting, there is some kind of sense or feeling that goes with it that what is not present. And in the follower, following of the Buddha, just to track ourselves with this, any situation which produces it has a similar sequence. and We just have to follow the sequence and get to know it and not give it self-ness. One is an impression. Think of any issue, any problematic event, anything that's going on, there is an impression in it. Impression is not truth, it's an impression. It's an impression. And from the impression arises certain kinds of feelings that go with the impression. From (coughs) From the feelings arises a certain kind of inner movement called wanting. And either wanting to exist, not exist, or some kind of comfort. The wanting takes place as a move, as a contact. There are feelings. Pleasant feelings <laughs> give rise to a wanting for something. Unpleasant feelings give rise, maybe, to the not wanting of something. And that uh, movement towards something easier, comfortable, pleasurable. This movement of the eye contact, impressions, feelings, wanting, and taking up all problematic life is through the identification with this movement. <coughs> and we are so habitualized to it, we forget don't we pay a price we forget to say hey look at this movement that's going on look at this impression feelings wanting holding on to sometimes in the movement of all of this sometimes often this is who we end up as being we are tied to the movement if It is just the process and the movement which is going on. Just impressions rolling through. What happens to identity? Maybe the truth of the being is not in the self, not in the movement. You can't think. No no human being with any issue unresolved can actually consider the ref- movement. Sorry, consider the issue without impression, feeling, desire, and holding in it. There's not an issue in this world which is not tied up with this. Not an issue. So though you and I may say, "Oh, life is so complex. Oh, I have so many things on my mind." and I have so many things to resolve and so much to do and I don't know what to do Impressions, feelings, wanting, holding Sometimes, as some of you reported The movement can be going on inside We're talking about that little sequence, with others and with ourselves, as though this is who I am. We can keep meditating on it. We can keep being told, oh, the cause for all of this is in the body. This is a popular mantra. And, therefore, if I can get into the body more, (coughs) it's all coming out of the body old stuff, old samkaras, old impressions, (coughs) old formations, old karma old this, old that, whatever. However, how did it get to the body? If this is a cause called the body it also has to be an effect. How did it get here? How did this strange (coughs) phenomena of body get to be like it is and once again I'm back in a problematic area because I keep going cause-effect 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 I can't find the beginning to it it's like trying to find the beginning of a circle where the hell is it so if I can (coughs) let go of (coughs) cause-effect thinking (coughs) let's not blame anybody for anything about anything. Anything. (laughs) Once one enters into blame, one says he or she is the cause. Can't be seen clearly. No chance of seeing clearly if one's using the finger to point and make blame. There's no truth in cause. because the simple actuality to repeat the voice a little bit the cause is also the effect the cause didn't start off clean the cause whatever whatever i use the parents as the example is the effect of previous situations and circumstances if we see this clearly it's not that we have to work out our anger, work out our negativity, work out our blame. We just see. It's a lie. Not about being a pure person. It's not about oh getting rid of all of one's impurities. It's not about overcoming evil doing good and purifying <coughs> the mind. This is this is pre-beginners practice not even kindergarten practice. <coughs> the reason we don't throw blame out onto, <coughs> don't enter into this reactive state onto, because each time we do, we're making a cause. We can do it ourselves, we can blame ourselves, give ourselves a hard time and say, I am, I am, I am the cause of my own misery. That's a, a hugely egotistical statement to make. <laughs> One actually thinks the self can say, oh, wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to give myself such a miserable day you can't believe. <laughs> so pointing out and blaming, finding cause, we don't do it, we don't end it, as I say, to get rid of the negativity, to be a pure, nice, good Buddhist and all that boring stuff. We do it because It's false. because it's an old wooden mind which is seeing cause and hasn't understood the whole sequence of impressions and feelings and desires and holding (coughs) and so once that questioning of impressions the dumping of impressions, whether the negative type is one form obviously and the other of course is the boosting up, the celebrity culture whether spiritual or sports stars or all the other emptinesses that are around that all of that building up also is to give cause to something oh what an incredible person this is This, this person changed my life oh come on it's once again seeing cause and pinning it out there and believing in that Blind to this cause is the effect of. We can't find the cause effect. word. So sometimes we think, we imagine, I can resolve all my problems. Good luck. Someone else can be the cause. And he or she will resolve all my problems. Good luck still trapped in the conventional, still trapped in cause and effect still believing in roles and identities still having a position, this is who I am still having a position, this is who others are somewhere, somewhere the conventional world has to be held lightly there's no great ultimate truth in it the very fact that one's identity is so contingent, is so ephemeral, and I could sit here and say to you, this is Christopher the teacher while teaching, (laughs) and someone could just get up and start singing and dancing. And all of our attention, including mine, would go to this person, singing and dancing. And it would take just a matter of a few seconds. And my whole identity is gone that I so carefully cultivated for 40 minutes. Just been wiped away. Nobody's interested in the teacher, more he's dead. There's somebody dancing, it's much better. They might even be hugging, that would even be better, according to some people. (laughs) so one's role is just gone just vanished but even in the moment the so-called role <laughs> had no substance to it even in the action and in the activity of the talking it has no substance where is it is there any little bit of this body that shows it you know is it, is it the dirty shirt or the unwashed feet or uh, sitting up here on on the throne, the place with the view, does it show anything? So even the role itself, it's so conventional that actually it's unreal. It's got no substance to it. And yet all the problems of life, as we talked in the inquiry yesterday evening, are tied up with the idea of the subject and the object. And the event that goes on between the two. When I really use the one thing that I've got, really bring attention to it, I can't even find it. I can't find the teacher. If I can't find the teacher who's sitting here, what hope has anybody else got? I have to rely on an imagination. I have to rely on an impression but when I really put attention I can't see anything substantial to call the teacher. And if there's no teacher there's no student, and if there's no student there's no teacher. It just (laughs) disappeared and if it disappeared there's no problem. If it's like this there's no problem with parents and children with lovers and partners, with friends with strangers and uh, contacts with other people there is no problem. Unless I carry an impression upon which I build but the impression is not the truth. Not the truth, how could it be? There's no evidence for it. Wow, nice. Out of the box. What a relief, you can come and sit here and not be a teacher. Great, I'm not a teacher I don't have to have a rest from being a teacher. <laughs> Hang out, enjoy life, no problem, no teacher, no problem, no teacher, no student. Great. Even in the inner world This is the power of attention, it's a liberating force, it's one of the great insights of the Buddha. The power of mindfulness, not this wishy-washy mindfulness that you hear about in the West. I mean power of it, the Buddha's word here, power of it. Let's say I've got something going on inside, a whole stream of strong thinking about something, myself, my future, my past, other people, the state of the planet or whatever, whatever it might be. And I say, right, I'm going to bring the power of attention to this whole story, this whole stream of thinking that I'm really occupied about. Personal story, global story, doesn't matter. The very um, capacity to bring total attention to something, it will, I promise you, disappear. The power of attention will not allow thought to roll, to flow, to express. Try it. Try it. Anything that's been going on. Just close your eyes. Right. I'm going to give this total attention. I've been fucking around all day, I'm now I'm going to get serious. Boom! Mmm. Well, come on. Total attention. And there's nothing going on. Nothing will go on. You can sit here till the holy cows come home. Nothing will happen. God, and then it's back. Story from it, the, the, total attention and there is no event. Events in life are only for those who live without attention. Events in life are only for those who believe in impressions as having something in them. It's just the conventional, just everyday human talk, just everyday human experience. Power of awareness, the power of mindfulness, the power of attention. We've it, total attention. A thought can't get in there. If the thought can't get in, the story can't get in. If the story can't get in, the identity can't get in. The identity can't get in, the conventional world can't get in. It's just one big deception. Such a phenomenon it is. Such a phenomenon. And if it's understood, it doesn't mean to say one doesn't talk the language of oh I am here and I've got my mummy and daddy and I'm a teacher and I'm a lover and I've got a kid and da-da-da. One still talks ordinary, one still lives ordinarily, one still lives as if there is subject and object, as if there is identity, as if I am a teacher or whatever the other roles that arise, but there is a knowing. This is the key concept. There is a knowing. This is not the true nature. This is not how things really are. This is conventional. This is everyday. This is what we've agreed. And if one knows it, deep down the guts. if one knows it problems have gone. (coughs) Because one is not anybody. One is not anybody. This only has to be seen clearly once, seen clearly once, and that's (coughs) enough. And how do we know if we've seen it clearly once? Problems are finished. They are are a very rare arising in the field of dependent arising in one's life. Very rare and for some, finished just to see this once just to know this once May all beings live with the power of mindfulness May all beings see in the conventions of things May all beings Realise a liberating knowing. (coughs) Okay, let's have a couple of quiet minutes, please.